This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey guys, welcome back to Marriage and Martinis. I'm Adam, here's Danielle. Hi. 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 Oh, I'm supposed to Yeah, talk. please. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I like when you start with when we have interviews. Uh-huh. Because you, you're you more researched and more better at this part thing than I am. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> How is that for... Uh... Well, for it's it's easy with Jody. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. Right. It's I mean, super easy. And what can you say about Jody that isn't? She's just phenomenal. I was so happy to have her back. We hadn't really nice had her talking like nice. Like I, I don't like using the word nice. Right. But it's like nice talking to her. It's calming. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's. I word. feel <laughs> like she needs to make um, one of those apps where she just talks to you to like if you're feeling anxiety where you can just put on like right. a recording of hers. And just like when I hear her voice, I'm just like, it's so soothing. She should do one of those. Um, what are those videos called? When they like, scr- like scratch them. Oh, like ASM. What's it so, called? Yeah, a- like ADMR. That. I don't know the actual letters, but I know what you're talking about. Does this about. work? Wait. Yeah, but that's not soothing. I think that's annoying. No, but it's like noises. It's not soothing. It's like th- noises that make you feel weird or something. Or what does cool it have to do with good. Jody? Like her voice makes you f- like it's good. Like it's like her voice is good for. Oh, you know oh, what I'm saying? Uh, no, kind yeah, of. I kind of don't. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> Um, so anyway, we hadn't spoken to her since February. And since then, she has told us a lot has happened. First of all, she hasn't had a drink since last January. About January. Yeah. January. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a year in January, which is amazing. She realized that it was contributing to her depression. She mm-hmm. talks about that. We talk about opening up to our kids about all these tough things with infidelity and betrayal uh, about moving forward after and how hard it is, but she gives us some great strategies and she just mostly she makes us feel less alone. No matter what you're going through, any kind of betrayal, that's really where Jody Utter is incredible is that she has this amazing way of letting you know that you are okay, you are safe and you're going to be able to get through it. Yeah. And there's a, you know, there's a chance that there can be a positive outcome, which right. is what happened with her. So it's a really inspirational story for anybody going through something right now who like sees no light at the end of the tunnel. Definitely. So, well, and I, I like that 
he uh, the infidelity happened four years ago. But what I like about Jody also is that she it's you know, she's she didn't stop talking about it. She's still talking about it because, like she says, you know, it's an ongoing process and uh, and she just wants to keep helping as many people as she can. So enjoy this conversation. I really loved it. And um, go and follow her everywhere because, man, she's just awesome. We are so happy you're back. And I know that you became really involved with our community after that. So many people reached out because there are so few people like you who are out there openly talking about this stuff. So I think last time people were shocked, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe there's somebody out there who is willing to openly tell this story. And I, I think that telling the story what I said I, I get that I still can't believe I'm out there willingly telling the story right well and when you first told it it was kind of it was not willing it came out we talked about this the last time it came out um without your you know you had no control over it but then once it was out you decided that as a writer and a storyteller and someone who Gosh, I mean, at first it must have been very hard, but somebody who obviously is capable of being vulnerable, which is really hard, you were going to keep going with it. Right. Yeah. It flipped from at first feeling like a burden, having our story told for us in a very public manner um, and not being able to do anything about it or change that. And it flipped real quick into realizing, oh, what a blessing, because now I'm, I don't have a gag order to operate under, like most people experiencing infidelity or betrayal do it's not talked about very often. It's still seen as very taboo. Um, And it just, that doesn't help anybody heal from it though. So I realized really quickly I could use our story because I knew we were going to survive it. I didn't know how, I just knew we would or that we would at least try our hardest. And I realized that that was the part of the story that I could speak to um, that people needed to hear. Mm -hmm. And I think since then, you and I are so connected, like in the virtual world and everything. And I know that there have been times where you telling your story hasn't been so easy for you. I know that there have been times when it has been difficult and you've gotten feedback and everything and, and you, but you continue to do it. And I think that's incredible. And that can't always be easy. No, it's not, the telling of the story is, uh, wasn't hard because like I said, it was told for me. That part was done. It wasn't anything I was introducing the world too. It was already done. I was just speaking um, to it. Um, The two things that were hard is early on, there were a few people that said, oh, how weak and pathetic that you stayed with your husband after he cheated. And I remember thinking, wait, is this weak? No, (laughs) this is like the hardest thing I've ever had to do. There was nothing weak about it. And um, choosing to forgive somebody and love them no matter what, I also don't see as pathetic. So I realized very quickly that was those people telling their story. They view forgiveness and forging on with somebody who hurt you as weak and pathetic, but I didn't, I never did. And so those people were easy to discount right off the bat because that's your story, you tell it, I'm gonna tell mine. But years later, I mean, we're approaching four years now um, that Eric and I have been recovering from his affair and about a year ago, it came to my attention that some of our friends and family members feel really badly for Eric and that, why is your wife still talking about this? Why, why 
you know, how, if she forgave you, if you're going to stay together, then, you know, she didn't need to let it go. She needs to be done. And I was just like, wow, these are people that I thought understood what I do and support what I do. And to find out that they didn't hurt because I see very clearly how helpful our story is. I feel it in my bones, but on top of that, I've heard from hundreds of people, much like you two have, on how helpful it is when we tell these stories, no matter how hard, um, no matter how painful, no matter how vulnerable you have to be, they are so helpful because people are living through the same things and not able to talk about it. So not only do they get to hear somebody talk about it, but they get to hear their own story echoed and it feels like they're talking about it when they're not. And so I have to rely on all of those people and all of those comments and emails um, and messages I've gotten and just discount the people that don't understand what I'm doing. And, yeah. It's hard uh, sometimes. I'm working on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you two are, you know, you're, a, you're a team. And so are, are Eric and I, cause Eric, you know, I asked him, okay, well, wow. And you know, what did you say? And he's very quick to explain, no, don't feel bad for me. You know, I'm, I, I fully support her using our story the way she does. And you know how you guys know how I use it. Why wouldn't he support the way I tell our story? I don't bash him. Um, I, I tell the truth. Um, and I own my role in our story. So every time I talk about his role and how he behaved and the choices he made, I also talk about how I behaved and the choices I made over the years. Um, so it's, it's definitely not one-sided and I can't get bogged down by the fact that not everybody understands what I'm doing and why. My question to you is when you, when this all happened to you and you've been such a voice for so many people, did you know of anybody else who had a similar story? Like, were there places that you turned to talk to people? And because I know it's shocking as much as you get feedback of how could you do it and this and that, you, you, like you said, it's thank goodness you are because I know when we first released the episode with you and when, when we've released episodes with us, I get people who said, holy shit, I never heard another story like this before. I literally thought I was in a world of my own, even though you don't really, in the back of your mind, you know somebody else has to have gone through it. But did you, were there, did you have any public figures that you turned to or family members? Like, did you have anybody for support for you? Specifically to talk about infidelity with? Yeah, betrayal, infidelity, what you were going through, the the hurt, that that feeling of hurt that you had, could you feel it matched by, you know, or understood by anybody else? Yeah, I had, I started keeping track and I feel like it was around 69 people reach out to me immediately in the um, first few days after our story and was very publicly aired all over the news and media in our area. Um, and I was like, the, the onslaught of people reaching out to me in support is actually overwhelming in a good way. Um, so I started writing it down, their names, because I wanted to remember and I wanted to thank them later in, um, in a better capacity than I was able to at that time. Um, and I started kind of highlighting the ones that said, this happened to me too. I've been there and I never would have known it had happened to so many people that I knew personally if they weren't reaching out to me because it happened to me because this is just not talked about and you know this is 
something I, I've always struggled with with marriage is we're told, we're taught, and especially in the church, in the Christian church, we're taught not to talk about what goes on in our marriage, that that's, um, that's sacred. Yeah, it's betraying our spouse's privacy. Um, it's not helpful to take our problems elsewhere. Um, it's betraying them in some sense. And I understand that, I do, but I also think it is detrimental. I think it's isolating and I think it limits your ability to work through whatever you're dealing with with your spouse. If you're trying to do it with just the two of you, you're the two that caused the problem, right? So if you're only gonna try and work through it together with no outside help, mentorship or influence, I don't think you're gonna be very successful because you're the ones that created the problem. Yeah, it sounds like there's some kind of logic on the surface to that, but you gotta kind of get beneath that surface to figure things out and you need outside influence. You need to know there are other people you need advice from somebody else other than just yourself or your partner. So, yeah. So, so logically it does kind of make sense to just keep it, you know, between the two of you, but I don't know how well it's going to resolve itself if you do that. Exactly. And again, that portion of trying to heal with Eric was taken away from us. I didn't have any reason not to talk to other people about it um, or, or to tell other people about what happened with us. There's a writer I follow um, and she writes mostly about marriage and and family. And she wrote, you know, I will never, because people ask her, how does your husband feel about you writing all this stuff? It goes on in your marriage. And she said, well, here's the thing. If we're going through something, you're not going to know about it until we've made it through. If we've made it through something, I'm going to write about that thing. And I always thought that's super cool because obviously the two of them are okay with whatever's gone down. They've moved on, they've healed. And now it's an experience that they can take and talk about. And all those people coming up behind them about to go through the same thing or going through the same thing now feel less alone, less abnormal, and more equipped and more hopeful that, hey, we're not the first people to go through this and we're going to make it through because I, I see this person that made it through. So we can too. Yeah. But I also think sometimes when you continue to talk about everything, it also brings something to light, which is something that I want to talk to you about, which is the idea of forgiveness and moving on. And I think that we, when you continue to talk about something that's happened or, or you bring it up, and obviously, listen, if, it's, if you're out to dinner with your husband and you're having a great time, you're, you don't want to bring it up or you're having a conversation, you don't want to bring it up. But if a tinge of something comes up and you talk about it again, especially publicly like you do and we do, I think also it says to people, these things take time and everybody's time frame is different. And a lot of times, you know, we go to the movies and you see someone's been betrayed and something's happened and at the end they kiss and the lights go out and everybody claps and it's over. But in real life, these these are things that are ongoing. And I think in any marriage, anything you go through is ongoing, right? Like there are people who will be fighting about money until the day they die or in-laws until the day they die. Or it doesn't mean that they still didn't have a great marriage and a great journey together. And so I think sometimes when people say, you got to get over it, you got to move on, this and that, like, yeah, because you're doing it publicly, people feel it. But people who aren't doing it publicly are still dealing with it. They're just not doing it out in the open. So I think it also allows people to see, wait a minute, I don't, there doesn't have to be a time limit. There's no kitchen timer or, you know, like finish line to cross when you're feeling 
Like you've forgiven someone. Sometimes it's in increments or you regress, right? I mean, tell me if you please tell me if you disagree, because maybe that's what I sometimes tell myself is that because it's so public, people see it more. But I think you need to see that it's an ongoing thing and you can still be loving and still have a great relationship and still have a great marriage and still deal with these things on an ongoing basis. That's what makes a great marriage that you're dealing with those things and that you make it. And it's not in spite of struggling with those things. It's sometimes because of those things. And when you say it's not incremental, Oh my gosh, amen. Hallelujah. All of that. I read years ago, you know, Bob Goff, do you know him? Mm -mm. He's a writer and he writes, um, he's a faith writer and his main tenets, themes are love and forgiveness and most of what this guy writes is gold and I just nod my head to it and so when I read this one sentence of his I was like wait is that from Bob he wrote forgiveness is not incremental if you just give a little bit you've you've not given any and I was like no (laughs) No. okay Bob have you not had to forgive like where's that coming from I think it's absolutely incremental I think because you started a place of, I cannot forgive that. That's unforgivable. And to get to a, okay, I forgive you. That's incremental. That is not overnight. That is not a three-step program. That is not a one and done. It's, it's slow. It's painstaking and it's absolutely incremental. So I want to ask him about it someday. Am I misunderstanding? <laughs> like, what do you mean? How am I interpreting this incorrectly because I, I disagree with it wholeheartedly. like he thinks that it should be something that you hand over to a person like like okay I forgive you now all is forgiven it's washed over me and I'm it's like almost like a rebirth like I'm starting over again with you with none of those hard feelings that's, but that that sounds to me like then you're just bottling something up and so can people really do that is what I want to know it sounds like that can't be the explanation of well, behind his story, there's something Maybe. missing because I know, I know, right? I'm like, like it can't be that just to expect somebody to say, "Okay, it's been a month, uh, I'm over." But you know, I you think know. sometimes our society feels like that, like like you see on TV and a movie, like forgiveness is supposed to be something that has, you know, that's very. Um, what's the word? Like, it's not amorphous. It's it it's you know it's it has like it's something that you can just sort of handle like that that it's definite you know what I mean that it has like a definite capacity that you're just all of a sudden like okay I forgive you here's my forgiveness and that's it well and, if it's a movie it's gonna take you only got two hours to right. watch the movie, so they can't right. drag on the, the you know time that it takes to heal right but I think people always say oh when you're when you forgive somebody you know then you then you release it and this and that but I don't know that that always has maybe sometimes it's the way maybe there are people who forgive and it's completely you know something that you've forgotten about and just moved on well, but I I, what happened right if we're talking about somebody cut you off in traffic okay we can forgive that pretty easily. We're going to move past that. And we're probably not going to ever have to think about that again. 10 years later, we're not going to be thinking about that time at that stoplight where that guy cut me off. Like that's just over and done. But when we're talking about something like betrayal or abandonment or any kind of abuse, now that's something entirely different. And for people that say, get over it already, why? Here's what they're really saying, in my opinion. When they say, why can't you just get over it? I think what they're saying is, you're making me uncomfortable and I don't understand what you're going through. I think that's the 
correct interpretation of yeah, doing. maybe they're just trying to say, okay, enough already. Like, I don't want to hear about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Either get over it or go find somebody else to talk to. Because, yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering what, when you started to think about forgiveness and moving on, because a lot of the, well, a lot of the questions that um, I had from people for you when I told them I was going to be talking to you is, what what did that look like? How did you, you know, how do you not think about it all the time? How does, how is it that you can walk, you know, through town where maybe some, you know, something happened with them, or you can be in a spot where you see something that reminds you of them. How do you, what are the strategies to use that if the feelings don't always come flooding back all the time? Well, in the beginning, you can't, there's no strategy and there's nothing that works because you are powerless in the very beginning because everything is so fresh and raw and painful and overwhelming. And you just don't like if, if those things are coming in waves, you just don't even have a chance to stand up before the next one comes. Um, and then you get to a point where none of that's true and all of it's flipped. And now you are the strong and powerful thing. And when those things come at you, they don't stand a chance against you. And the time period between then and there is different for everybody. And again, it's it's depending on the offense that you're trying to forgive, the pain that that you're trying to get past. And one of the my favorite things I've ever read on healing was it takes as long as it fucking takes. Mm-hmm. And that's different for everybody. And and if you're trying to heal and forge a way forward with the person that hurt you, I mean, it's so tricky and, and um, compounded because they play a role in that. And I've also read, when you're hurt, don't look to the one who hurt you to help you heal. And I completely disagree with that because I think that's absolutely where you look at first. They're the ones that hurt you how are they going to help you heal? And if, if they are great, then the two of you are working together for that same goal. If they're not, then you're on your own and you still have to do the same work, right? It's, it's no different. You still have to move forward. And in my opinion, you still have to forgive because forgiveness isn't for them. It's for you. I think at the heart of forgiveness, it's actually a very selfish thing but not in the connotation that we usually use the word selfish in. Um, I think it's selfish in the sense that it's for you. It's so you can release all the negative feelings that you have towards this person for the way they treated you and move forward. And that doesn't always mean it's going to be with that person. That might be the end of the relationship because of what they did, but you still need to forgive or you're going to be bogged down by bitterness and rage and resentment forever and that thing that they did to you it's like it's going to be happening to you forever if you're not able to release it and forgive so that forgiveness is for you um and kind of wrapping back around to your question because i really get off on these tangents i forgot to ask you which one of you was going to pull me back from these tangents i no, i like the tangents yeah, keep going with yeah. the strategies for the triggers in the beginning there are none because you can barely even catch your breath. And I lit- quite literally, and so many women have emailed me and said, me too, I couldn't even breathe. You can't even breathe in the beginning when you're dealing with something like betrayal or abandonment or some of these heinous hurts. Um, 
so first of all, you're just trying to breathe and you're just trying to make it through a day and there's nothing that you can do in the beginning. But as time goes on, you have to tell yourself, you have to just really talk to yourself like you would a child or a friend that you love or even a parent. Um, and you have to say, look, that thing was horrible when it happened, but it's not happening now. And when you feel like you're not making any progress, like these feelings just coming up and I, I keep, they're cyclical and I thought I forgave, but I'm angry again and it's happening all over again. If you think I'm not making any progress, this isn't working, you have to stop and you have to say, how do I feel right now? And how did I feel when this first happened? And it's, it's never gonna be the same. You're always gonna see that at least a sliver of progress, at least a tiny little bit of forward progress. And that's how you know, oh, okay. I am healing. I am learning how to forgive and move forward and not um, let this rule me. It just doesn't feel like it because of how hard it is and how long it takes. So that's that was one major strategy in the beginning is, wait, wait, this feels like it's happening all over again. That's true, but it's not actually true. It's not actually happening all over again. And just sort of stopping yourself cold in your tracks right there really helps. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So when you feel like that, do you, do you talk about it with your partner or is it something that you're supposed to journal about or because I, a lot of people were saying, well, I bring it up and then, and I remember you the last time we spoke, one thing that you said to me that really has stuck with me so much is you said, whenever you, the thing about it was that whenever you wanted to talk about it, Eric never said, no, we're not talking about it anymore. And that was one thing that really helps. And I think that that's something that is really so helpful in it. If the other person is saying, okay, you need to talk about it again, we could talk about it again. And you need to bring it up again right now. You're feeling it right now. Okay. Like I said, you know, I, hopefully it's not going to be in the middle of a great conversation or when you're out on a date and you're both laughing, having a great time. Hopefully it's going to be in moments maybe when, you know, it, you're not, stopping the progress and making it, but who knows? So I just am wondering from your perspective, the people who are saying, you know, he, people keep saying to me, I, I need to forget about it all. What, what's the time limit? And it's been too long and I keep bringing it up. So what's, what would you say? First of all, you're saying, hopefully it doesn't happen when you're out having a good time. That's exactly when it happens. And the reason that happens, the reason when everything seems to be um, jovial and joyful and easy and breezy and boom, you're triggered and you feel like, wait a minute, everything's ruined. I can't even have a nice moment because here I am back in the pain again. There, it's, it's a trauma response because it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's tricky to let joy and happiness seep back into the relationship because you're not, you, you don't trust it yet. The pain is so fresh that that's what you trust because that's what you just experienced. So when you have one of these happy moments and you're all of a sudden just on the floor in tears again, you're like, what and why? 
and the reason it, it's fear. It's like, if I give into this, this happiness, then, then it can be taken away from me again. And I think, so I think that that trauma response of, oh, remember how sad you were, remember the pain, remember how, you know, this relationship almost failed, right? When you were having a good time. And it, it's, it's one of the worst kind of triggers because when you, if you vocalize it to the, your spouse, the one that hurt you and they're like, wait, what are you talking about? We are having a nice time. You know, this is a special occasion. And, and why are we back here? They're not going to understand it because they're not the one that's triggered. Um, the person that causes the pain is better at compartmentalizing the event, what happened. I did that. It was awful. It's done. But the person who experienced the pain experiences it over and over and over again. And I think one of the reasons that happens, this is just my personal belief from experience, is pain doesn't leave us until we learn what it came to teach us. And so when we feel like we're just spinning our wheels and we can't get past this pain, I think it's because we haven't learned from it yet. I feel like when we learn, okay, this is why that happened. This is what happened because of that happening. This is how I'm going to respond to that. This is what, and you, all that learning helps keep that pain at bay. So the person is not going to understand, the person that hurt the other one is not going to understand why are we talking about this during a happy moment? But that's just something that they're going to have to get used to because they, they caused that. Whether they understand it or not is just true. And if they're not going to be approachable about talking about it in any situation, then it's, it's going to be harder to move on from and take longer. So yeah, Eric, I want to give him all the credit for healing a lot of the time because he did everything I needed him to do from the get-go. And as much as I wanted to talk about it, he would. And it was repetitive. It was redundant. It was excruciating for both of us. But it was just my process of healing. My mind had to hear like the same thing 10 times to be like, okay, okay, I finally I finally understand this. I finally get that. I can move on. And then we've addressed the next thing. I hear from so many women who say their spouses won't do that. They won't talk about it at all. They won't talk about it with a therapist. They won't talk about it just with them. They won't tell them any of the details of what happened. They won't, um, it's too hard for them. And um, another woman, this will, this will never leave me. Her husband told her, I came back, I came back home. You should be over this now because I came back. Like that was his way of fixing everything. I'm back. So we should be good. <laughs> I'm just like, God bless her. I don't think they're going to make it if that's his staunch attitude. And yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of his rationale for that and how that works. And I'm struggling here. So I don't know yeah, where that's going. That's literally just someone who just doesn't want to deal with anything. I think so. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons I talk about this is so, so people will know, okay, it was so horrible, but what can happen next? And you don't look to the one that hurt you to help you heal. No, you absolutely look there first. Um, because when you hurt somebody, you want the chance to make reparation, to atone for what you did and make it right and prove to that person, Hey, that is not who I am. That is something I did and I'm sorry about it. And I'm going to work so hard not to do it again. You want that chance, right? And so 
I want that chance. And so I'm going to extend that same chance to the person that hurt me. And if, if they don't show remorse, if they don't own what they did, if they try and point a finger and blame, or if they do it again, it's like, okay, then you're definitely showing me who you are. You're not your mistake. You are what you do after. So if you're doing the same thing over and over again, or you're making it impossible for us to heal, then okay. I won't be looking to you for, for my healing from this point on, but I think you absolutely look there first. How, how often does it happen, if it does, as you're trying to recover, as you're trying to heal, and as you're trying to forgive, and you have these moments of just setback and you're, you're hurt again out of nowhere, how often does it happen where you say, I don't know if I can do this. I, I, it's been, I don't know, six months. It's been a year. How long can I keep doing this? I don't know if I can. Does that happen to you? And if it does, how, how do you get through that? How do you get past that? No, it was never, it was never our story. Like, like, did you make a mistake? Did you ever tell yourself, I made a mistake that I stayed and this is why, or? Mm-hmm. No, because Eric's after, like I said, has been impeccable. Like he's, he's shown me who he is. Um, he made a mistake and then he showed me who he is by what he did after. And there's not been anything that's given me pause or made me think I made the wrong decision. Um, because he made a mistake and that's, that's the end all be all of it. It was a mistake. It's not who he was. Um, it's not who he wants to be going forward. Uh, so, yeah. So that was never, never part of our story, but I remember in the beginning that the triggers were just, um, they just never stopped because infidelity in particular, if that's the issue that you're trying to get over and forgive, it's everywhere and i did not notice this until it was part of our marriage story it's in books it's in movies it's in song lyrics it's um, in stand-up comedy routines it's um you know it's happening it in your your friend's home it happened to your cousin like it's just everywhere it never ends and when it's fresh in your life and it and it's brought up in one of those venues it's just like, it's like ripping the scab off and, and you're starting all over again. Uh, it never changed my direction though. I knew from the, literally from the moments right after he told me what he had done, I knew I wanted to stay with him. And I call that a God thing because if you knew me before that moment, I can hold a grudge like nobody's business. I can hold on to anger and resentment. Um, I remember having very high expectations and standards that I look back and I'm like, nobody was ever going to meet those or live up to those. Um, it, it didn't match my personality to have him confess his affair to me and know instantly I'm going to stay with this man. I'm going to try to, at least I'm going to try to forgive him. Uh, it just didn't match who I was at all. It just was this overwhelming feeling of this must be a God thing. Um, cause it's not for me. My response I think would have been completely different. And since that moment, it's never wavered, which must be a God thing too. Mm. So did you have like, I hate to like, well, I don't hate to sound like Oprah, but in the (laughs) words of Oprah, but did you have like an aha moment you were saying when you learn about the pain and everything, like what was your lesson about the pain? What, at what moment were you sort of like, okay, this is why this happened to me. This is why, you know, I'm feeling the pain. Um, I mean, I don't know if this answers your question the right way, but 
when he confessed to me, I saw our entire marriage flash before my eyes to that point. And I saw everywhere I went wrong over our 20 years together. And that doesn't um, own any portion of, of his choice to have an affair. It doesn't condone it or excuse it. When I talk about um, me owning my own role, it has nothing to do with what he did. But I, I did play a role in the decline of our marriage and the state that it was in when he made the choice to cheat. And so I never saw it as, oh, you did this to me. You did this to us. I, I saw it from the beginning as we did this to us. We both played a role in that. And I, I've told you before, I checked out on Eric mentally long before he checked out physically. And I consider that betrayal as well. A lot of people wouldn't. Um, but I always say, I don't know if I read this or I say it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Doesn't it get like that sometimes? You're like, wait, did I, was this something I listened to or is this, was this my own? That's what happens when you're on social media and reading and stuff all day long. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but the betrayed get to define betrayal. The person who's betrayed gets to define, oh, that was betrayal. And I, I'm, I know Eric would say that the way, well, he has, the way I left him mentally felt like betrayal. It felt like I left him. And it um, led to the headspace that he was in to make the choice that he did. Totally forgotten your question. I know I'm not answering Just what, what you, because you were saying before about, you, so it's not until you can figure out why this happened. And Oh, uh-huh. Oh, right. Like, why is this, um, how did this happen to us? I never would have ever thought Eric capable of this in a million years. Um, we're both fully imperfect, highly flawed people, but this is never something that I thought he would be capable of. And to boot, he lost his career over it. And to boot, it's being broadcast all over our community. And so, yes, there was a why is this happening to me? And all I can figure out is that I meant to tell our story and use it for good in the world and use it to prop up struggling marriages. Um, I don't know what else it would have happened for at this point. Yeah. Well, certainly you've, you've done that for sure. And I'm sure so many people, I'm grateful. I'm sure so many other people are grateful for you being so vulnerable. I think it's awesome. Um, how, since that time, since we talked even last February and everything, and we talked a little bit about his career and everything like that, like has every, has, has a lot changed since then? Or do you feel like, you know, I know he had to like shift gears and everything and you all had to shift gears and, it was like adjusting almost to a new normal. And how, do you feel like you guys have made a lot of progress even since last February? Yeah, Eric and I are good. Our marriage, I like it better than I ever have. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. That's amazing. It is, isn't it? Because yes. and I know, I guess this is the other way to answer the question. I don't feel like we would be where we are today without this miserable experience that we went through. Do I, am I glad we went through it? I don't think so. I always say, I'll never say I'm grateful for this experience, but I might because I don't think we would be where we are without it. Um, I think our marriage just was lapsing into this lull that we were both just like, Meh, all right. And I don't think it was ever going to be this great thing going forward from that, but it is now. And I don't know how we would have gotten here 
otherwise. Mm-hmm. That's so what's crazy. different. What's different about it now than it was before? We scared ourselves shitless by what we did to each other. Like mm. it was like, I mean, it's that wake up call. Like, oh my god, what have we done? And we used to have fights. Like you're talking about these lifelong fights or these marriage long fights about in laws or whatever. Well, one of the fights that we used to have was about the way we fought. Eric wants to just go toe-to-toe and get her done and if it's three in the morning you know whatever but I'm like no I need to calm down I need some space I need to go to sleep I need you to leave me alone I need to talk about this tomorrow and that was one of our major fights is the time period uh, on which we would fight which sounds so silly now but we fought for years about that and whatever we started to argue about it quickly became not about that anymore but about the way we were fighting and so we had fights that lasted three years three months, three weeks, three days. And now our fights literally last for three minutes. And it was about, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago that I realized that I'm like, we don't fight for more than like three minutes. Have you realized that? And I think it's because we're both still so raw from what we did to each other that we're not willing to even go anywhere near that space again. And so whatever it is we're trying to work through, it's like, hot and heavy for a couple of minutes that third minute smooth it all out we're done <laughs> it's just right. and it, we're I, not even you don't want to ever feel that way and, what, and you might realize the things that you were fighting about are kind of somewhat insignificant compared to what you've been going through for so long exactly. that they're, they're not worth the big blow-up fights anymore no and they don't even like they they provoke us to that like i said that point where we're going at it for a couple of minutes but then we realize wait this is just this, no not worth mm-hmm. our time and look at us, look what we've been through. This is silly. They were, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just conf- kind of confirming you saying what you, what you went through made you guys, the people that you are now together as a couple. And not that you're going to go thank him so quickly for doing what he did to cause this big, I, I know that's not what you're looking at, but something big had to happen to bring your marriage back together. And it sounds like at least there's a, a huge positive coming out of what you were going through. Yes, for sure. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Another amazing thing for people to see who are going through it is that you did come out the other side. You are coming out the other side. And I th- there are probably a lot of people out there who don't know if that's going to be, if that's a possible happening. And we talk about Esther Perel all the time. I know that you you love Esther Perel too. Um, but when she talks about the rebirth and and that, you know, a marriage can take so many different forms. Sometimes you can't stay married to the person you're married to, but you can end that marriage and start a brand new one with the same person. Right, right. And do you feel sort of like that's what happened? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you know, one of the reasons this kind of healing takes so long is because there's so many components to it. So, you know, right out the gates when we we're trying to heal from this affair, we were trying to heal our marriage 
that was the goal, right? But also Eric needs to heal because he's the one that did the thing. And self-forgiveness is so much harder than forgiving another person. I've determined this on my own and I've taken several polls and it's always upheld that self-forgiveness is so much harder than forgiving another person. So he had that to work through, but he was focused on helping me heal. And as I healed, he was able to heal. Um, But we were both more focused on the marriage. And we did a year of couples counseling and then we did a year of really working everything we learned in couples counseling. And by year three, like, this marriage is healed. And then lo and behold, oh shit, we're not done. We each also have to heal individually now. And I don't think we realized that, that that was coming or that that was going to be a need, but he still has to heal in the form of, he lost his career. That is emasculating, especially for a man. He lost all sense of self-worth and self-confidence because of the choice he made and how publicly um, it was dealt with. And um, he risked his his wife, his kids, because it was on the news and we have teenagers, there was no way to shield them from this. Um, Our entire family and and group of close friends had to know. Um, That's a lot for a person who's trying to learn how to forgive themselves to overcome. And he put all that on hold in the name of my healing and in the name of healing our marriage. And then I realized I did the same thing. I was so focused on healing our marriage that, oh, I have a lot of individual healing to do. Um, Because any kind of... um, major traumatic experience like this comes with its own brand of PTSD, whether that's exactly what it would be diagnosed or labeled or called, I don't know, but it's the closest description I have for it. There's individual healing that needs to be done. Because like I said, the triggers are going to subside. You're going to become stronger than the triggers. You're going to be able to say, not today, trigger, not today. And you won't have to ruin that nice dinner or that special occasion because you know, hey, I have dealt with that that thing can't take me down anymore. But there are still ways that you'll need to heal individually because this kind of trauma takes a lot out of you. It changes your brain. Um, Things are different after you go through something like this. And I started drinking a lot and didn't realize how much I was drinking until my relationship with alcohol became untenable in the form that I induced depression in my body. I was drinking to numb and check out of all these feelings I'm having on how hard not only marriages and healing from things, but also teenagers and family and work and everything that goes on in normal life um, just compounded to the fact or to the point where I wanted to check out and numb. But alcohol is a depressant. So when you drink enough of it and um, enough quantity over like frequency, it's, it's, it's going to do exactly what it's designed to do. It's going to depress you. And I remember thinking, okay, I've, I've been through situational depression once before years ago. Um, it lasted about six months and I know what was causing it. Um, I got help and I got through it. And so, okay, what is this? This isn't situational depression because I've always, I've already dealt with the trauma in my marriage. Um, it must be something different this time. It must be more chemical brain chemistry. Something must be happening. And so I went um, and talked to my doctor and got on antidepressants. And then after a while, I realized, wait a minute, I'm not depressed. I'm drinking to the point where I'm depressed. And so a major part of my healing process has been giving up alcohol. And I did that just before we talked last time, or maybe right when we talked. Because if we 
broadcast in February. We talked a few weeks before that. Mm -hmm. But I gave up alcohol on January 1st of this year with the goal of not drinking for an entire year. And um, I, so when people say things like, get over it, get on with it already, I think they're losing sight of the fact that the people that they're talking to probably are getting on with it and moving forward and getting over it. But maybe my way of doing that looks a lot different from what your way would be or what you would expect. And maybe my way looks about looks like writing about it or um, doing Facebook live videos about it or publishing content about it. And maybe your way looks like podcasting about it. Like these are forms of getting past the pain and the trauma. They're not, we're not trying to prolong it. Anybody that's been through any kind of pain like this knows you're not trying to drag it out. You want to move forward. So talking about it, bringing it up, even if it's for the 100th time is part of moving forward and getting past it. Mm, I love that. That, that. that is important for me to hear too. And I think it's probably important for a lot of people out there to hear because sometimes you do sort of feel like, oh shit, wait, did my time limit expire? Like, am I, am I all of a sudden supposed to just stop talking about it and never bring it up and not be twinged by it? And, you know, and that's, yeah, I think that that's completely unrealistic and unfair. Um, I want to talk a little bit about kids because what we we hear a lot, or I we've heard, not a lot, I shouldn't say a lot. Most people are super supportive and really awesome, but we're so public about everything. I know yours wasn't a choice at first, but for ours, we're very open about everything. And people say, well, what are you going to do one day if your kids listen to the podcast and how are you going to explain to them? And, you know, and our answer is sort of, first of all, we're very honest with our kids, maybe not to the point of the podcast, obviously, but we don't, it, it feels to me like if we're hiding something from our kids, it's because we should feel shameful about it. And I don't feel shame about any of this stuff, which is why I feel like I can make a podcast about it. I more feel, you know, sometimes maybe sad about it. But um, I also don't want them to think that it's an easy ride. Um, and I, I'm wondering how you've approached it. Your kids are a little older than ours. But how have you approached it with them and dealt with it? Well, we didn't have a choice. I get asked a lot, should we tell our kids? And I can't imagine why you ever would tell your kids um, if you or your spouse had an affair. Um, I, 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 if it ends the marriage, if it's something that the two of you can't get past and um, divorce, I can imagine telling them why so they have that information because then when we don't tell people the truth and they are left to make up stories in their head about what happened, right? And that's, that's scary and that's um, way harder to heal from when you're just making things up. Uh, so I think that that truth is important, but, but only if they need it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my advice to people asking me that question. Should we tell our kids? No, I don't know why you would, unless you have to. Uh, but our kids, they were going to hear about it on the news, whether we wanted them to or not. So we had to sit down and tell them the truth. And it was, it was I can't, I can't remember having a harder day or a harder thing to have to get through than sitting our kids down and having my husband tell them what they had done. Um, they both asked a couple of clarifying questions and they both dealt with it in very different 
opposite manners. Um, we have a daughter and a son. They're two years apart. They're both teenagers. And they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want any professional help. We offered therapy. We encouraged it. We said we can go as a family. We can go, you can go individually. I can just go with you and offered all these options. And the answer was no, not interested, no matter how many times we asked. And our own couples counselor explained to us, okay, well, here's what's going to happen then. Unfortunately, they're going to have to deal with this as adults in their own relationships, which is like a gut punch. But yet so many people do. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think one of the reasons they don't want to talk about it is they're not really equipped to, like, they don't get it. They don't understand. Um, It's just too complex of an issue for kids to understand and deal with. And um, I remember in the early days of me um, trying to heal, their reactions to me were very different as well. One of them said, you are dwelling on this. Can you just get over it already? And that same week, the other one said to me, you are acting like none of this ever happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. One way, which is the best way I possibly can in this scenario and circumstance. And they, and they viewed it completely opposite of each other. And so I realized, okay, not only are they going to deal with this as adults in their own relationships, but completely differently. Um, and I think sub- Consciously, it's not one of the reasons I set out to write and tell our story and use it to help other people. But now looking back over the years, I can see, oh my gosh, not only did this help me heal to talk about our story and help other people heal, but this should be super super healing for my kids someday. Because now they have this record to look back on of everything I've written on my own website or everything that I've published and print or in magazines or online or wherever it exists for them to read and dive into when they are ready um, at the appropriate time for them and so then maybe they can understand why that happened how we dealt with it and the good things that came from it not only that but they're living it um they're they get to see it every day oh my gosh Look at my mom and dad now compared to, oh my gosh. Right. It's possible to get through stuff. Right. And there's not been one word spoken about it since those initial few months of where we told them we offered help. And then they both told me how they thought I was dealing with it. In the last three years, there hasn't been one word spoken about it. And that's by their choice. They know. Obviously, they know I'm more than willing Mm -hmm. to talk about it and to tell them the truth then to answer any of their questions is just not a need that they have right now. Well, I guess they see how you guys are interacting today and they're just happy. And I guess they want it to be that way. And why bring it up if it's not necessary to do so, if they don't see you struggling, they don't see you fighting. Why, you know, in a kid's mind, I guess, why talk about it? Things are good. Right. Which is, I think the way they, the kids learn all the time, right? Whether there's trauma happening or not, they are, they, learn by watching us, not by what we tell them to do or ask them to do or right. lecture them, but by what we're actually doing. I just wanted to ask, I mean, any words of wisdom that you wish someone had told you when you were in the thick of it? 
Like if someone could have said to you, sat you down and, and, or you could have sat yourself down when you were in the midst of it, knowing what you know now, what would you say to somebody? I think I would focus on this theme of forgiveness that we started to talk about today because of how crucial it is, whether or not you're going to be able to forge a relationship from that point on with your spouse or not, forgiveness is the key to moving forward. Because like I said, it releases you from feelings of bitterness and rage and frustration so that you can move forward and find something better, whether it's with that person or not. And I think the barriers to forgiveness are, it feels like you're offering them permission to do it again. If I forgive you for this, you're going to think, oh, that wasn't so big a deal. Mm. And it can, it can, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Obviously we're not telling people, I forgive you, go ahead and do that again. But that's what it feels like inside. It feels like your forgiveness might be taken as permission. And that's one of the barriers. The other big barrier is that they'll forget. You're afraid if I'm able to forgive you, you're going to forget all this pain and heartache you caused me. And if you forget, then you might do it again. And is that usually the case? Does that usually happen in your experience of hearing stories and stuff that people who forgive too easily, the other person ends up doing it again? I hear about that sometimes. And I think that's where the phrase, once a cheater, always a cheater comes from, that it fills me with rage. I just think that's the dumbest thing that you could possibly say to somebody because sure, people that cheat may cheat again. But I don't think that that's I, it's not, it's definitely not always the case. And I, statistics regarding infidelity are so tricky to come by because people don't talk about it and they don't right. talk about it. And so you're just never going to know, but I always flip it back on myself. If, if I hurt somebody and I'm sorry and I'm remorseful and they forgive me, I am not going to forget how I hurt them. That's never going to leave me because self-forgiveness is so much harder and I'm not going to take it as permission to hurt them again. Like it, I, I flip it back on me. Well, what would I do? Okay. Well, that's probably what that person's going to do because I love that Brene Brown tenet that most people are doing the best they can. It took me years to agree with her on that because first time I read that, I was like, that's bullshit because I can give you hundreds of examples of people doing things that are not the best they can do. But I think what, what the breakdown is their best is not, um, does not match our version of what's the best they could do, right? So if somebody cheats on you, that's, that's not your version of their best, but that was the best they could do with the headspace they were in at the time. It just so happens that their best really sucks and it's not good enough for you. And then, so then something has to happen, right? And sometimes that means your best wasn't good enough for me and now I have to be done with you. And that can still come after forgiveness. You can still forgive that person so you've released yourself from it, but you're not going to be able to forge on with that person. But, but then it's tricky because if it's just a mistake, they're not that mistake. They are what they do next. So you do have to give them some time to show you. Um, I think that the other thing that um, people who've experienced betrayal really struggle with in the beginning is uh, feeling a sense of weakness when they consider forgiving the person that betrayed them. It feels 
like the doormat syndrome, right? Like you're being a doormat if you let somebody treat you like that and you say, it's okay, I forgive you. When in reality, really forgiving somebody like we've been talking about for an hour now is one of the hardest things you will ever have to do. It's not a one and done. It's incremental. It takes time. It's slow. It's painstaking. It takes as long as it fucking takes. There's nothing weak. It's 100% strength to be able to actually offer somebody forgiveness. So that would be my main piece of advice is anytime you are feeling weak or pathetic, you are so the opposite of that. If you are actively trying to to heal and forgive and, and move forward from pain. And a spouse needs to know that too, right? The one who is the one who's waiting sort of to be forgiven saying, why haven't you done that yet? Well, if they're still with you and they're still trying to work through it and they're saying to you, I want to stay with you, but I need to also be able to talk about it. And I need to also be able to do things like, I I don't know, when we spoke to a marriage therapist, they said to us, you know, I, one of the questions I asked was, what about things like privacy, like phones and stuff like that at the beginning? And she's like, oh no, you get like access to whatever you want in the beginning, Like that is something that a spouse needs to know too. Like that's part of the healing process is whatever you need to build that trust up again. Exactly. They get to define betrayal and they get to chart the course for healing. They get to state what they need, why they need it, when they need it, how much of it they need and see how their spouse can respond. And if it's like Eric, yay, you're going to heal a whole bunch faster. But if it's like the dude that says, well, I came back home, we should be good. (laughs) Right. Where's the reparation? Are there ever moments now where you, you know, if Eric's out late or you don't know where he is or whatever, are there ever moments where you're like, oh shit, is it happening again? There aren't. And I don't understand why, because I really feel like there should be. And the reason I say that is because early on in our couples therapy, our therapist said something about, well, the very first thing that she said in our first session, she said, Jody, how did you miss this? And I just about came unglued. I didn't have a lot of anger when I was dealing with this. I had more grief, um, a sense of loss, um, just mourning, sadness, mourning. Yes. Um, and I wondered where my anger was and it came out just in brief moments of, of and that was one of them. How'd you miss this? And I said, I trusted him. That's how I missed this. He had complete 100% trust for me. And now he doesn't. And she said something later on in therapy about earning or trusting again. And I said, well, I said, I hate to disappoint you both or let you down, but I don't see how that's possible. And I still feel that way today, even after all the healing we've done. And even after telling you, I like our marriage better, I like myself better, like Eric better than I ever have. I don't trust him. The reason is because I gave him my trust and he broke it. And I don't know how to When you know what a person's capable of, when you know the choice they made and it, and it broke the trust, I don't know how you trust again. The only thing that saves me right here is this little 
snippet I saw from it was Dr. Phil. Do you remember vintage Dr. Phil back in the day when he just was starting out with Oprah and yes, he started his own show and he was talking to somebody about this issue. And he said, here's how you learn to trust again. You trust yourself that you can get through anything that happens to you. You can get past anything anybody does to you. That's how you're going to learn to trust again. And that just clicked in my head. Oh, I can do that. I can trust that no matter what Eric does to me, no matter what choice he makes, I will get past it. I will heal from it. That's what I trust. With Eric, instead of trust, I have hope. And the reason I have hope is because of how he's behaved every second of every day over the last four years since we started dealing with this. I have immense hope in the way he's going to behave and the choice that he's going to make going forward. And I think because I've had that hope building solidly and steadily for day one and nothing um, has risked that, that that is enough of a replacement for trust for me. So I don't, I don't know if I will ever trust him again. I don't know if it's like forgiveness and it's incremental and I'll get there. I don't know the answer to that question yet. I just know that hope is um, enough for me in place of it. And I guess that's why I don't wonder, you know, why is he an hour late or who's he talking to on his phone? Um, if it happens again, I'm going to find out again, eventually the same way I did this time. I don't need to exacerbate that and, and make sure I find out the minute it happens. I just have this sense of whatever will be, will be. Right. Well, I'm certainly, I'm certainly glad that you're, you know, you've taken this journey and like brought so many people along with you because it does so many good things for so many. And I appreciate it. And I appreciate you being like another voice of vulnerability. I know it is not easy. (laughs) Our son is waving to you. (laughs) Um, And so I thank you for that. And I know what you go through, trust, I mean, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I know what you go through, but I know how hard it can be to be that voice, that public voice and the feedback and the scrutiny and everything. Um, But please, please, please keep doing it because I know you're helping so many. Um, Tell everybody where they can find you. I, we, of course, you know, we want everybody um, following Jodi Utter because everybody needs Jodi Utter in their life. But um, even if, you know, you're not dealing with betrayal or anything like that, you still write beautifully and you're just a wonderful platform. So tell everybody where they can find you. Thank you. Well, and I'll tell you what I think I told you last year too. I'll keep doing it if you guys keep doing it. We're trying. There's some days I'm not so sure, but we're trying. What's that supposed to mean? Well, I just, it gets, it does. It gets hard with the feedback sometimes, you know, it does. It gets, it, it does. And we have so much support. I never want to downplay the support. I mean, we, our community is incredible, but it does get hard. You know, it gets hard when you, when you put yourself out there and somebody says, Oh, this again, you're still talking about this or, you know, it does, it, it gets, it, it, it wears on you. Yeah. The detractors somehow their voice is a little bit louder um, than the supporters. And yeah. So- which is not fair because, you know, well, especially the- when it's one in however many thousand that are the negative, you know, making you feel bad about yourself or negative comment or feedback. Yeah, but it's there's hard. so many people that are so supportive. And that's so yeah. But it, it's like the same, you know, it's but like it's they true. say, yeah, it's, I understand. it's like, you know, you, they're the one in the, you know, like stand up comedians say the whole audience can be laughing and they find the one person who's not. And that's what you, you know, yeah, it's very, it's hard, but no, but mostly I, I know. I, I you think, should read it like those uh, celebrities did, read the mean tweets 
on yeah. Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you do it like that and right. you laugh at it. You Maybe. Know? I do like reminding myself that's their story. That's their story. That's their story. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. And, and, you know, I, I do, it's, it's, listen, it's hard. And like Brene Brown says, I'm sure you know the quote very well, you know, unless you're in the ring getting your ass kicked too. I'm not interested in your feedback, which goddamn, I want to live by that so badly, but it's hard. But, um, but thank you. Okay. So utter imperfection. Yes. That's the name of the website blog, utter imperfection. I'm on social media on the same handles utter imperfection and i have a private facebook group for women who are trying to heal from any type of trauma because i know how hard it is uh, to find somebody um, we you know back to when we first started talking today we talked about how we're told don't talk about your marriage that's not healthy for your marriage we have to talk about our marriages or we will implode in them um, but it's hard to find that safe place that soft place to land that we talk about a lot yes um, our soft landing girl has been hard and harsh enough we need soft and uh, so I created this private Facebook group for women only um, trying to heal so they can talk freely and openly and listen to others that are doing the same thing and then that's called even though with utter imperfection and that's on Facebook okay even though and all they have to do is request and right. and they can join you have to answer my questions I'm pretty protective of the, the women in that group and so there's some interview questions. Oh, I love that. Well, if I would want, if I had anybody who was navigating me in a group, I'd want it to be you. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for talking to us again. And I'm just waiting for the day when I can meet you in person and give you a hug. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I asked Eric today before I sat down with you, I said, Hey, any chance you'd be interested in talking to Danielle and Adam with me someday? And I got the, the head tilt. <laughs> I was going to ask you if we can meet him. Yeah, you know, you you should have him listen to a few of the episodes because I feel like sometimes at first men are sort of like, oh, I'm not going to listen. And then they listen and they're like, oh, I'll talk to Adam. Yeah, I would totally we talk to Adam. Him. What are you talking about? We listen to you all the time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Aww, that's so sweet. So he knows what you're all about. He knows that you're a soft place to live. Well, that's my goal. <laughs> that's my goal is to get him on. And um, because I think what he has to say would be very healing for a lot. Of yeah. People. And maybe for him. Yes. And I want people to see, because so often when we make big mistakes, especially in our throwaway society, um, that's what people are known and remembered for. Um, but this is a guy who uh, was in law enforcement for 20 years and ha had an exemplary law enforcement career. And unfortunately, what he's remembered by is this uh, mistake that he made. Mm -hmm. Right. And it cost him that career. And, I, and that's a big part of what I do, too, is I tell the rest of Eric's story. So he's remembered for the good things. All the awesome sauce that he pours all over everything that I feel like it's my job to call out. Well, I really do hope this podcast is going to do the same thing for us. And Oh, I you. thought it did. I thought we were like in our best place. No, I'm no, no, no. I'm saying I want people to know the full story, you know, the full, us, the laughter and the, you know, with everything else. And well, we've heard that too, with some of the feedback that we've got, like how we've evolved through the podcast and yeah. how, things, how our conversations totally. have changed and our attitude has changed together. Where you are in your marriage today without the podcast. What'd you say? You guys think that you would be in the place that your marriage is today and having done I think I think we would certainly have been bottling it all up mm, right it's hard to say I think where we would be if we would be at this point if the podcast didn't happen are you saying you think it, it, we would still be together or not I'm not sure right I mean I think it's what saved us yeah 
Yeah. I mean, it's been a really, as hard as, you know, as it is, it's been a really beautiful thing too. And just the people who we've met and the support, you know, like, you know, as much as I talk about that other stuff, the support that we've gotten and the community and my God, I've made some best friends and everything. Well, yeah, not only has it improved our relationship, but Danielle's kind of found her love for what she's always wanted to do without even knowing. And that's been every aspect of that she puts forth to this podcast, you know, but between the interactions, the social media, the, you know, interacting with everybody, meeting people like you, meeting people, you know, so many different people with different stories. I mean, she's finding her, yeah. her love of what she wants outside the marriage, outside the family. And that would never have happened had we not started this podcast. Right. Well, thank you so much, Jody. Thanks, we Jody. love you. And we're so happy that you, you know, you're making so much progress and we're just, we're grateful for you. So thank you. Right back at you. Thank you. All right. You have a good night. Bye. Bye.